0: Well, it's good to see everyone here today. It's good to be back with you guys after not getting to be here last week. Um, I want to thank you all on behalf of myself and Kaylee, our family, for all the prayers that, uh, that you all uh, sent our way, um, all the encouragement. We really appreciated that as um, kind of had a crazy weekend last week um, with the, the baby trying to come early and things, but, uh, but Kaylee is doing well, Nathan is still doing well, um, and we're still waiting, so uh, we'll continue to pray. Apparently my mic is not on. Are you sure it's not on? Mic is on. Yeah, it's on. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all so much for your prayers. Um, we continue to hope he holds off and comes a little bit closer to time for when he should come. Um, but uh, as we begin today, we are going to be back in the book of Luke. I'm really excited to be in the book of Luke, even though it's only for a short time. Before we dive right into our Advent series, but um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 today starting in verse 15. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Um, So throughout the Gospels, there are several times where Jesus, as he's interacting with different individuals, uh, people who seek to follow him, where he tells them things that are honestly pretty intense, pretty like uh, weighty things, weighty commands, weighty uh, things that he tells them to do in order to follow him. Things that when we hear it, they honestly hit us pretty hard, right? I mean, we we recall times throughout the Gospels when when Jesus tells people that that even foxes have a place to lay their head, right? They have dens to sleep in, uh, but those who follow Jesus Christ, you know, there's no guarantee of that. He says that uh, actually later on in our chapter that we're in right now, he says, in order to follow me, you must hate your mother and your father and your wife and your children in order to follow me. He tells one rich man to sell all that he has and give it to the poor if he wants to follow Christ. He says to uh, all those who would seek to follow him to take up your cross, to to die to yourself in order to follow me. Over and over again, Jesus says these kinds of things that just when we hear them, they hit us so hard. He even says at one point uh, that we should eat his flesh and drink his blood, right? such weighty, heavy things, and and many times commands that just seem very strong, very strong. And there are a lot of people that are put off by these things, that are put off by these commands, put off by these expectations, put off by the cost of following Jesus Christ. Yet some remained, and to this day, some remain and continue to follow him despite these commands, despite these dramatic statements that Jesus makes. And the question has to be asked, why is that? Why, did, why would anyone hearing what Jesus says to, to different people, such as sell everything that you have, hate your father and mother, don't expect to have a pillow to lay your head on, all of these things, yet people still follow Jesus. Why? The answer is that because Jesus is far more valuable than anything else that we could have here on this earth. Jesus is far more valuable than anything that we own, far more valuable than anything we could aspire to, even more valuable than the love that we share with our families. Christ is worth more than that. He is, uh, as the the parable suggests, a pearl of great price. Like the man who, who finds a treasure buried in the field and in his joy, what does he do? He goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy that field, right? Because he knows the treasure, the the quality of what is there is far more valuable than anything he has. So for this reason, when we see Jesus making such great statements and and hard statements and challenging statements of, of those who choose to follow him, even promises of persecution, yet people still follow him because he is worthy. He is far more valuable than anything else in this world. And we see in our text today uh, Jesus giving a parable that goes right along that same vein. And in fact, one that's very uh, pointedly uh, addressing people who, who fail to see the value of the invitation that Jesus makes uh, to those who would come. So our text today, as I said, Luke chapter 14, we're going to be reading verses 15 through verse 24. Luke fourteen, fifteen through 24 says this. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have a field. And I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city And bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Lord God, we come today with the task of, of seeing your word and seeking to understand what you have told us in your word. I pray today as I uh, preach through this text in Luke, Lord, that you would give me um, the words to say, Lord, that you would empower me as I, as I seek to proclaim the good news of the gospel here today that you have given us, Lord, that your word would go forth, that we would be encouraged today, that we would be challenged, that we would be strengthened in our endurance, strengthened in our hope, and given joy to the fullest. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our main idea today from this text is that all who would accept the invitation are welcome to join the Savior at the great banquet. All who would accept the invitation are welcome to join the Savior at the great banquet. This parable that we see here is is one of several parables in which Jesus pretty directly calls out uh, the Pharisees, the the Jewish leaders, for their pride and for their hypocrisy. We see this over and over again in Jesus' interactions with them. We see in verse 15 exactly what prompts this story that, that Jesus dives into. This whole thing is prompted by a statement made by one of these leader of the Jews, that's at the table with him, where he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This seems like a pretty innocent statement, right? That this Pharisee makes, that this Jewish leader makes. It seems pretty innocent, and in fact, I I would dare say that it is a true statement. That anyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God is truly blessed. But Jesus recognized something in this statement, that was indicative of the Jewish leaders that he was eating with. He recognized that the reason this guy was making this statement and what motivated this was not something out of goodness or out of rejoicing over the salvation that he had in Jesus Christ, but rather that it was motivated by other means. So what prompted this statement from this man? Where did this come from? Well, it certainly didn't come out of a vacuum, right? We, we know that this parable, this story in our text here is, is in the midst of a, a prolonged scene over several verses, several stories, where Jesus is dining with a group of Pharisees, right? He is eating at the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. And so he's dining with these guys. And, and the things that we've seen before, what Matt preached on last week, and, and even going forward from this, it's all a part of this big scene. So, so as we take this text, we can't rip it out of its context, but rather we have, we have to remember what's going on here. And right before this statement, what was Jesus talking about? Jesus told them, he said in verse 13 and 14 of our text, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So there's, there's different ideas of why this guy said this. There's, there's really no exact reason given in scripture, so we don't know for sure, uh, but I, it seems to me, uh, that this guy, his idea behind making this statement was really kind of a redirect. I think it was an attempt to change the subject from, from what Jesus was talking about, which was caring for the poor, right? And inviting when you have a banquet or feast, inviting the poor, the weak, the crippled, the lame, all the people that they did not want to associate with, he said, invite those people when you have a banquet. And like us today, I mean, this talking about these kinds of things that we know are hard, We tend to want to shy away from those things, and I think that's what's going on here. This Jewish leader, he's like, I'm just going to try and change the subject, and he makes this this statement that seems like, oh, okay, yeah, but, you know, blessed are all of those of us who are going to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Like, oh, speaking of feasting, uh, what about when we get to heaven and we'll eat that feast, right? It's like an attempt to try and change the subject away from this awkward and, and uncomfortable topic that Jesus is addressing. And I'm pretty sure this is what he's doing because I'm I'm guilty of of having done this myself. We used to do this all the time with professors uh, in college. It was kind of a game to see how much we could get them off track from what they're actually talking about and like talking about something else that has nothing to do with anything. And it almost became like a game. And there were some professors that were really easy to do that with, right? You could just throw out some random topic and they would just go on a tangent about that, right? I think that's what was going on here. I think this guy really did not like all this talk about caring for the poor, inviting them to come and dine with you. But frankly, it didn't really work out very well for him, right? Jesus saw right through what he was doing. He saw right through him to his heart, to his pride, his arrogance. And he addresses it head on. So let's make our way through this passage. We see, first of all, as we we look at verses 15 through 17, As Jesus is telling this parable, we see, first of all, the honor of the invitation that's made. In verses 15 through 17, it says this, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So he's appealing directly to something that these Jewish leaders would understand. This is an invitation to this great, glorious banquet, a feast. Uh, This was an an event of a lifetime for for many in the Jewish community. You didn't get invited to to feasts, to banquets like this just every day. And it was in fact a great honor to receive an invitation like this. An invitation to a banquet, and as this says, a great banquet, one that many are invited to, was was a great honor to have this invitation given to you. And it was not something to be ignored or to be scoffed at, but even the Pharisees would have recognized, oh, wow, they got invited to a great banquet. That's that's quite a privilege, right? And the way invitations would work at this time, you know, we think of an invitation, we think you're given a card, it tells you what's going on, where it's happening, and when to be there, right? But, But in these times, that's not really the way things work. They were always... Two invitations that would be that would be given there was initial invitation invitation way ahead of time, telling you, "Hey, you are invited to come and join me for a banquet for a feast that I will prepare for you and for all the other guests you 're invited to come, but feast took a long time to get ready. Banquets were not something that you could just snap your fingers and the caterers would all show up and, and be there. No, there was preparations that had to be made. there were animals that had to be killed there were uh, food that had to be gathered. I mean, all of these things go into play, not to mention the fact that it's not like they were all just wearing watches around, right? So they knew exactly when to be there and, and, and what all was going on. So what would happen was there'd be an initial invitation that was sent, and that was an, an honor to receive that invitation. And then after that, a servant would come and proclaim. There'd be a second invitation to say, the feast is now ready. The time for the banquet has come. Come in and enjoy the banquet. The feast is now Ready? And so all of these people that had received the honor of an initial invitation now were receiving the, the word from the servants to say, things are ready, come to the banquet. And in this case, those who received this invitation, as Jesus is telling this parable, it parallels with reality. And those who received this invitation in advance represents the Jews. The Jews were God's Chosen people, the ones God made covenants with, the one he gave his word through, the one he sent the prophets to, not only that, they were the one through whom God sent the promised Messiah. If there was any, ever a people group who had received an invitation to the great banquet of Jesus Christ, it was the Jews. They had received an invitation to come to the banquet, that a coming salvation, a coming feast was on its way. And just like the people in the story that Jesus told, the invitation was denied. This invitation, this great honor, was given to these people, was given and and expected to, to be reciprocated with joy and with satisfaction. But instead, when it came time for the banquet, the master of the house called for them to come and feast and was rejected. Not just rejected, but honestly, he was rejected for, for silly reasons. Point number two was that the invitation was rejected for silly things. We see in verses 18 through 20, it says in verse 18 that they all alike began to make excuses. Every single one who had received an invitation to come to this feast, and we were told that the invitation went out to many. It says that he invited many to this great banquet. And one by one, as the invitation, the second invitation was sent out, to say, hey, come, dine, the feast is ready. You know you're invited. Now come and join in the feast. This part of the parable would have been preposterous to Jesus' listeners. This great honor of a feast, a banquet, was, was to be rejected? Who would do such a thing? No one rejects an invitation to a grand banquet such as this. And as we've already said, this would have been a great honor, an event of the century perhaps. Yet in this story, every single one of the invited guests makes some excuse as to why they can't come. As much as an invitation to this kind of banquet would have been a great honor, outright rejection of such an invitation would have been a disgrace. It would have been a great insult to the one who made the invitation and prepared this banquet. It would have been an insult to turn it down, not only just one, but for everyone to turn it down. After all the preparation had been made, the invitations had been sent, the food was now ready and they said, nope, not going to come. But especially for the reasons they gave, these lame reasons that these people gave not to come to this banquet. Look at the first one, for example. He says, I've bought a field and I must go see it. This, to me, is probably the lamest excuse of the three given. He literally says, I've got this piece of ground, and I have to go look at it right away. Because apparently I can't wait until tomorrow, and it might not be there tomorrow, right? So I've got to go look at this right away. I can't come to the banquet. I'm sorry. That's a lame excuse. We might be tempted to think, right, that there was some sort of uh, ancient ritual of of a necessity to go and view land that you have just recently bought, or maybe there's something culturally going on here that we don't understand. No, as far as I know, there's no such thing. He just said, nope, I want to go look at this land. I'm not going to come to your feast. It's just a lame excuse. That's all it is. The next excuse is just as lame. He says, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Again, Like, first of all, if you've just bought five yoke of oxen, you're probably pretty well off. One of your servants can't go and examine your oxen for you? Are the oxen going to change overnight to where they're not going to look the way they look now? Didn't you examine them before you bought them? Like, what is going on here? Why would you not come to this feast to go look at oxen? Finally, the third excuse, which perhaps seems like it has some credibility at least, but still falls short. What does he say? He says, I have married, and therefore I cannot come. I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And this seems like it has some credibility at first, right? For those of us who are married, we know, eh, sometimes things can come up. Maybe she wants to hang out tonight, or something good on Netflix for us to watch, or something. I don't know. But, but honestly, is this a good excuse? No. No, especially when you consider the way women were commonly viewed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees listening to this story would have probably lost their minds at this point. You mean this person's not going to go to this banquet because of a woman? Some woman has told him he can't go to this banquet? Do you know what Pharisees would pray relatively commonly when they would pray to God and thank him? It was not uncommon for a Pharisee to thank God in their prayer, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile or a woman. This is how they viewed women. Women had very little value to these Jewish leaders. And now you're telling me this man is not going to go to a banquet because his wife says he can't? Come on. These were all terrible excuses. These are excuses that barely would have been acceptable today. Right, if you invited people to your house, I mean, we don't even live in an in a honor culture the way they did, but but if you invite someone over to your house for a meal, ten people, and they all give you excuses like these, I've got to go look at Oxford. what? I just bought a car, I got to go check it out, right? My wife doesn't want to come, like, come on, and you're left high and dry with ten pizzas that you ordered, right? We we can feel the weight of that at least a little bit. How much more in a culture like this that was built around honor? And the master of the house wasn't having it. He was furious. He said, fine, you don't want to come to my banquet? I'll invite someone else. Forget you, is what he says. So point number three, and an invitation is an invitation to those considered unworthy. We see he's like, if you won't come to my banquet, then I will find people who will. In verse 21, who does he send word to? He says in verse 21, so the servant, uh, excuse me, yes. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and crippled and blind and lame. He says, I will find people to come to my banquet. And in the story Jesus is telling here, after the servant returns, the master is furious and he sends word to all those who would come. So the people that he is now inviting to this banquet, to this great feast were the exact kind of people that most people in this time would want to keep out of their feasts, the one they don't want coming. These are the ones that would be barred from entry in most cases. Because in their eyes, a feast like this was not, not intended to be used as, a, as an opportunity for charity. This was not some, some uh, operation to help the poor and the downtrodden in their eyes but rather in in this time, this was a chance to display your status, right? And to grow in status. You don't display your status or grow in status by inviting the weak and the poor and the lame. They're nobodies. It's gonna do you no good to invite them. No good will come of this. You will not benefit an ounce from this. And it's true that it would have been a great privilege to come and to be invited to this Banquet. And as the story goes, those originally invited guests rejected it for lesser things. Therefore, the privilege came to those the Pharisees saw as unworthy for various reasons. People who were not righteous the way the Pharisees were, who were not living right. They did not deserve such honor as a feast to come and join in. Certainly, as regards the great banquet in heaven that the Pharisees and scribes saw themselves as surely getting into because they were righteous, because they obeyed the laws, because they were devout in that respect. These people that were now gaining access to this banquet in Jesus' story were unworthy in their eyes. This would be especially true of those who were sick, those who were lame. Because why would anyone be sick or lame in the Pharisees' eyes? Why would some Jew be sick or suffering? Well, it's obviously because of sin in his life, right? Either in his life or in his parents' life. Now you're telling me that these people who are suffering because they're sinners are getting into this banquet? Come on. There's no way that these people would feast with God in heaven in their minds. No way. No way, when this Pharisee made this statement, blessed are those who eat bread in heaven, these are not the people he was thinking of. He was talking about himself and the other Jewish leaders of the day, the devout, the righteous, the religious. Yet these are the ones to whom this honor has now been given. To one, the invitation passed up by those people has now come. But it gets even worse in the Pharisee's eyes in verses 22 through 23. The eyes of the Pharisees, when this invitation is extended even further. Who is, in it, who is it extended to in verses 22 and 23, says this: "And the servant said, "Sir, what you commanded has been done." And still there was room." And the master said to the servant, "Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled." After the sick, the poor. The invalids are brought in. The invitation is extended even further. It is extended to the highways and the hedges. What Jesus is saying here is that the, extended, the invitation was, is extended to people outside of Israel. Those people who were not a part of the Jewish community. The invitation has now been extended to Gentiles. This gets even worse in the eyes of the Pharisees that not only has the invitation been extended to Jews and and pretty bad Jewish uh, people who were poor or sick, but now it is extended to Gentiles? But I'll be honest with you, I am especially thankful for this part of the passage because who are outsiders? Who are the Gentiles? For a lot of us in here, that's us, right? I'm not Jewish, Therefore, this means that the invitation has been extended to people like me. Praise God, right? The gospel began with the Jews, but then spread into the Gentile world. This is why Romans 1.16, verse that we hear many times, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Then what does it say? To the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. The gospel may have been first given to the Jews, starting in Genesis chapter three, going forward through the prophets, through the promise, coming, the promise of a coming Messiah, and then Jesus coming into Jewish life, but it has now been extended to all the world, Gentiles and Jews alike. This is good news for us, right? But once again, for the Pharisees, this would have caused them to be beside themselves. The fact that a Jewish man would throw a great feast, a great banquet, and invite these unclean Gentiles to come in and to eat with him, thereby defiling him, defiling his house, no way, no way this would happen. Why would he do this? Why would he invite all of these sick, these poor, these lame, and now Gentiles The outsiders, the unclean, why would he do this? Well, the answer is given at the end, that his house may be filled. The master of the house was not going to be disgraced by creating this feast, preparing this banquet, and having no one there to partake, no one coming to dine with him. So he invited any who would come. He invited these people knowing that they would come. Point number five is that those first invited are now excluded. We see at the end of this section, he says, verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. As we think about the immediate context of this passage, we realize the connection that Jesus is making between the originally invited guests and the Jewish leaders, right? And it might cause us to think, well, therefore, no Jews are going to be saved, right? None of the Jews are going to be invited to the banquet. But I I would push back against that and say that that's not exactly right. I don't think this is true. Who is Jesus talking about when he says that none of these invited shall taste his banquet? He is talking about those who rejected the invitation, right? Right? those who chose lesser things instead of this great honor. And this certainly includes Jewish people who reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah, just as it does anyone who would reject Christ, or choose their religious efforts over salvation as a gift. Certainly they have rejected that invitation to the feast. However, this verse would also include anyone who rejects the gospel for any false religious system or some earthly satisfaction that pales in comparison to Christ. And people do this, right? In fact, any time the gospel is rejected, this is what happens. Someone says, I prefer what I have over Christ. What I have is more important to me than what Christ is offering me in salvation. The great banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb that is available to all who would accept the invitation is not as valuable to me as my family, is not as valuable to me as my career, is not as valuable to me as my sexual preference. Whatever the case may be, anytime the gospel is rejected, it is because they are rejecting Christ for something lesser. It may be a religious system, it may be our own desires, it may be wealth, whatever. But that is always what happens. And the fact of the matter is that anyone who would reject the invitation that Christ has made has rejected it for lesser things. As we close, I want to give us two application points from what we've read here today. The first is that for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are the weak, the downtrodden, the sick, the outsiders, We have reason to celebrate, do we not? Reason to rejoice that the invitation has come to us. The invitation to this great feast, this banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, was not reserved only for the Jews, but was made available to all those who would accept the invitation. This passage is, in fact, a sharp rebuke to the Jews. But it's more than that. In fact, there are other passages that are, that are even more explicitly a rebuke of the, Dru- of the Jews and that alone, we think about the parable of the wicked tenants who uh, were, were caring for a vineyard and when the master of the vineyard sent uh, his servants, they beat them up, beat them up and then when he sent his son, they killed him, right? That's a sharp rebuke of the Jews. This is a sharp rebuke for sure but that's not the only point that Jesus is making in this story. Jesus is also making clear that those who will dine with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb are the weak and the poor and the outsiders. This is great news, especially for us non-Jews. Romans 11.11 tells us that God used the Jews' rejection of him to reach us with the good news of salvation. Praise God for that. All those who are saved fall into the category of outsider, weak, poor or unworthy, and usually all four. And if you don't think you fall into these categories, then you seriously need to reassess yourself and your condition. I think about a a great Matt Chandler quote uh, where he was talking about the the accusation that people will make of Christians, that that, uh, you use God as a crutch, right? You just believe in God because you see him as a crutch. And Matt Chandler's response to that is yes, my legs are broken. I need a crutch. I can't do it without him. Absolutely. Jesus did not come to invite all of the perfect and the religious and those whom he already sees as right because of what they've done. No, he came to invite the weak and the poor, the outsiders, the unworthy. Every single one of us is unworthy of these and of this invitation. And yet he has extended it to us anyway. That Jesus Christ would receive the reward of his suffering on the cross. God has extended this offer of salvation to all those who would believe, all those who are weak, all those who are unworthy. So church celebrate in that fact today. But also we should we are called to reach the unworthy. When we see this passage, when we see the call that Jesus has made both before this passage and now again in this passage, that salvation, the invitation has been made to the weak, the lowly, the most disregarded in society, we would be remiss if we failed to see the fact that we ought to be doing the same. Don't forget that this whole section is building off what Jesus said right before this about inviting the poor and the crippled to feast with us because they can't repay it. Why do we do this? Why has he called us to do this, to reach out to the poor, the needy, to care for them, to invite them to come and join us? Because that's what he did for us. We have no hope at repaying Christ for the honor that he has given us in adopting us as his children and inviting us to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Therefore, we should extend that same grace to those who have no chance at repaying us. Because the, the, this is an honest question that, that we maybe have heard, but we need to ask constantly. Who are you more likely to reach out to for the sake of Christ? Do we desire to reach the lowest in society? Or are we content to the talk to the people that are on the same level as us? People that, that we enjoy being around a little more, This is a tough question, right? At this point, we can kind of see why the Pharisee would want to change the subject. Because it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But this is our call. Our call is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that means going to the people that we might not want to go to. The people that we might not want to hang around. The people that might not smell the best, might not act the best, might not have anything to offer us at all. Yet these are the ones that we are called to go and love on, to care for, to reach with the gospel. You see, we, we would all in here, those of us who are Christians, we would all say that we want to see souls saved. We want to see lives changed with the gospel, right? We would all say that, amen? Amen, yes, all of us would say that. But consider this, it just might be that there is a largely untapped group of people that are ripe for hearing and believing the good news of the gospel. Why? Because they're desperate for it. Because they know they're unworthy. Because they know they have no hope. Because they know they need a crutch. We, we are in danger of wasting our time, wasting our energy, seeking only to reach those people who look like us, who are on the same socioeconomic tier as us, the people around us at work that we're comfortable with. But perhaps the way to see lives changed is by going to the people who really know that their lives need changing, instead of focusing only on the people who think everything is great and who seem to have it all together, and frankly, many of whom don't care if their lives change, who see the things they have as better than what is being made available in Christ Jesus. I think that it is a true statement. There are people out there that we are refusing to reach because it's uncomfortable, because it's hard. But many of those people are the very people who are more likely to hear the gospel and see the beauty of Christ. And this is a hard thing to say. I don't say this as someone who is up here saying, I do this so well, it's not true. It's not true, I fall into the same trap of comfort of wanting to hang around with the people I like to hang around with, of wanting to minister to the people that are a little easier to minister to. This is a call to all of us. I would love to give a shout out to to what uh, Robert is doing with Proper Hip Hop. For those of you who don't know, Proper Hip Hop has been preparing, him and Adam, have been preparing uh, uh, like Thanksgiving feasts, Thanksgiving meals to give to people in the poor communities of Evansville. They went, they went literally into uh, these communities a few weeks ago uh, to deliver just gift boxes of cleaning supplies, of uh, food items, things that these people need that they're not getting from, uh, from WIC or from government programs, and they just went door to door, and they are like, hey, you need this? We've got this for you. And people were blown away because nobody's doing this. No one is doing it. So I would encourage you, I don't say this to try and puff Robert or Adam up, but to say like, it's not easy, but it can be done and the need is there and the need is great. So this is our challenge today. Church, first of all, celebrate. We have reason to celebrate. I don't end on the note of, of going and, and doing what is hard to try and bring us down. No, we have reason to celebrate. But as we celebrate it, let's take it to the people who need to hear it just the way we need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the joy that it brings us. Lord, I also thank you for the challenge that it gives us in our hearts the challenge to live the way you've called us to live, to love the way you've called us to love. Lord, we sing songs about your grace, especially available for those who are the poor, the powerless, the weak, the unworthy. Lord, wretched people. And yet, Lord, we are so slow to identify the need to take that that message of the gospel, the good news, to the people who need to hear it most. I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, where we've fallen short in that way. Help us to do better. Not so we can earn favor before you, Lord, but that as your word says in, in 2 Corinthians, that as grace extends to more and more people, it will increase and thanksgiving to the glory of God. That is our hope. That is our our call. Lord, I pray for this time as we take the Lord's Supper together that we would be encouraged, strengthened by the gospel, seeing what it is that you have done for us in Christ Jesus, and his blood shed on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen.